1: Fed Chairman Powell makes dovish noises. The bond market in turmoil again. High beta stocks also selling off. All that and more coming right up with RVDB guest, Peter Bookvar. Peter, welcome back to Real Vision. Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me. Now no, I I didn't mention the fact that you were the C- you're the CIO of the Bleakley Advisory Group and also the editor of the uh, the book report, partially because I didn't want to stumble as I keep on, you know, doing these intros uh, over and over again. But uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on there, huh? What are you talking about? It was a nice, quiet day today. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, when I when I uh, put the headlines out, I was talking about Fed uh, Chairman Powell. Uh, uh, That's the first thing that I let off with because basically, when you look at where uh, rates were. You know, if you look at the ten-year, things were treading water all throughout the day. Then Powell spoke; he was incredibly dovish, and then bang, yields went up. What What do you make of uh, the market action? Why did the markets react the way that they did? It's actually the, the same reaction that we saw after he was giving his
2: testimony in front of uh, the House and Senate. Uh, what we're seeing is the bond market. Let me ask. I put this. It's it's taking away monetary policy from the Fed. It's 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 setting its own level of rates that is clearly different than where the Fed thinks they should be. So the Fed can say, oh yeah, long rates are going up, steeper yield curve for good reason because the bond market's sniffing out a recovery. But it's always the Fed that's trying to suppress interest rates. So when you look back, the Bernanke. Yellen regime, and not just with the Fed, but central bankers around the world, they basically had license to do whatever they wanted with re- zero rates, negative rates, QE, because inflation was low. And there was no sort of talking back by the market to these central banks. So they were just they had license to, to, to print. They had license to, to pin rates. Now, in 2013, we had the taper t- tantrum, but that was- fed driven because the F- Bernanke said we're gonna taper and that was the bond reaction this is the first time in this sort of modern era of central banking that markets are really talking back now we've had some instances we had you know a mini blow up in the Italian bond market a couple of years ago and people worried about their budget but this is the first time on a global basis that bond markets are are, are pushing back against central bank policy and they're saying you know what we see the vaccine, we see the reopening, we see higher commodity prices, we see supply chain disruptions causing pricing pressures, we see spiking transportation costs, we see rising inflation expectations uh, in the bond market. and you know we're just not going to sit around and wait for you to get around to maybe being less dovish or tightening policy or tapering. We're just going to do it on our own. So it, 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 so this is like the first time where, where the Fed is sort of losing a grip on 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 the bond market. And it was it's no coincidence again like his in, like the, the response uh, after his testimony and today is that the more dovish he sounded the higher long rates went. Because again, the bond market's going to say, "You know, we'll tighten for you if you don't want to do it now." And not not that they're going to tighten now, but if you're going to be this dovish, we're not going to tolerate that.
1: Yeah, you know, interestingly, in all that you said, the thing that caught my eye the most is uh, when you talk about global rates, right? Because what's happening is not just what's happening in the United States. And arguably, the United States is in a better position from a reflationary perspective uh, than, say, Europe. However, European rates are going up. You know, Australian rates are going up. They're going up in Norway. They're going up everywhere. So what's happening in the United States is we're exporting an increase, a steepening of the yield curve uh, globally around the world. But it's also it's also
2: other bond markets around the world that see inflationary pressures in front of them as well. They see effective vaccines as well. So if we are about to see a mass reopening around the world, then why should rates be pinned at zero? Why should central banks be doing everything? Central banks are, are still living like it's 2020. When we we're in the depths of shutdown, we were in the depths of COVID. The bond market is saying, OK, central bankers, it's time to shift your focus to 2021, which is a different world. It's not necessarily a 2019 world just yet, but it's going to be much different than 2020. And central bankers, obviously, they're afraid to. They don't want to dis, you know disrupt things until uh, the global economy has, has firmer footing. But the markets are going to run while the central bankers are going to crawl. And it's just a question of, of, of how central bankers respond to this sort of loss of control. And, and I've been saying in my notes, they have three choices. They can either fight this, which we've seen some central bankers that want to fight it. Reserve Bank of Australia has tried to fight it. They've ramped up their QE uh, with with, uh, yields rising in their face. Uh, Or central bankers can uh, accept this and say, "Okay, market, I hear you. Maybe we should be less dovish, because they're certainly not shifting automatically, hawkish. Or number three, they can just close their eyes and hope this goes away. But like I say, like, like a little kid who puts their hands over their face and thinks they disappeared. You know central bankers can can try to cover their eyes to what's going on, but that's not going to make this go
1: away. Yeah, you know um, the uh, there there are two different scenarios that I want to go through. I think that that are interesting. The one scenario I want to go through is uh, the scenario where the Reserve Bank of Australia tries to go against this because I think this is the interesting scenario. Uh, we all know that the central bank has unlimited firepower. If they want to, they can, you know, print unlimited amounts of reserves and buy up assets like crazy, and potentially pin those those rates down. The real question is, if they try to go that direction, including the Federal Reserve, what happens next?
2: Well, they they, they damage the, the the functioning of their market, like the Bank of Japan did. Where you went days without seeing any trading in JGBs, is is that what you want? At the end of the day, you want to just completely kill your bond market, and 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 damage it to the point where who knows how it recovers without uh, a major dislocation. So they have to be really careful because central bankers like to use the excuse that that I'm going to buy bonds to improve market functioning. That was one of the excuses of the Fed uh, you know, a year ago. But okay. the more they buy, they actually create dysfunction. They actually damage markets. So central bankers really have to be careful here. And what's ironic is that they can control the long end by being a little bit more hawkish about the short end instead of fighting the market. If central banks try to fight the market, particularly the Fed, I think they're going to lose. Now, it worked in Japan, of course. It's worked in Europe because they went negative, but trying to fight the market is is may work temporarily. But anybody that's seen cent, uh, central bank intervention in the FX markets over the the many decades, you
1: know, typically fails. Right. Yeah. So, what about the currency effect? Let's say that the Fed decides, you know, what uh, we're going to do: YCC, yield curve control. Uh, we're going to tell these guys we have unlimited firepower, and we're going to cap these rates just like we did in the '40s and the '50s. At uh whatever rate it is, it's called it 2%. That's it. You can't get more than 2%. Uh otherwise we're gonna come in there and just you Bigfoot the whole thing. What what happened to the currency in that in that case? It, it certainly goes south, particularly if inflation
2: starts to go to three, to four, to five, to six, while the Fed has rates pinned. I mean, you you can imagine Jay Powell's testimony in front of Congress. If, if inflation really gets into the, the mid-single digits, and you have Congress people's constituency screaming and yelling, and you have baby boomers screaming and yelling, they got a real problem on their hands. And it's very easy for people to throw at oh, if rates go up, the Fed will just do yield curve control. It's much easier said than done. It, it, it's, it, it locks them in to a policy that uh, that that would be wholly inappropriate for higher inflation type situation, and it sets them up for a major problem when that YCC ends. Now, I'm not saying that they're not they're, they may not try this. I mean, but they're going to look at other, how other central banks have done. Obviously, Bank of Japan, it's worked because they own more than half the JGB market. But if you look in Australia, that you talked about, they have the short term interest rate at 0.1 percent. And they have YCC out to three years. That didn't stop the 10-year from rising 100 basis points in a short period of time. So just because you implement it doesn't mean it works. Now, can the Fed go out to 10 years? Well, what have we seen over the last five to 10 years? The, The more you kill your yield curve, the more damage you do to the profits of your banking system. That is why the Japanese bank stock index is down 90 percent from where it was 30 years ago, and why the European uh, Euro stocks Six, uh, bank index is down, you know, 75 percent from where it was in 08. So if you want to kill the small medium-sized banks in this country, yeah, go to YCC. So it, it's much easier said than done because there are major unintended consequences here and major direct consequences to the country's banking system. Where how do you have? A good economy if you have damaged profitability within your banking system. And we saw that in Europe and Japan.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, the second uh, scenario that I wanted to run through with you of the three that you talked about was the cover your eyes, uh, hear no evil, see no evil scenario. That's the one where you get uh, rates going up and they continue to go up and the Fed continues to make dovish noises. What happens in a scenario where we're looking at 175, 2% on the 10 year, and the Fed is saying, you know what? Hey, w- we have the same policy we've always had. It doesn't matter that these rates are 2% now. What what happens to markets at that point? So the Fed will respond when markets break, just
2: as they have in the past, just as Powell did in January 2019 after a 2.5% Fed funds rate almost blew up the market in the fourth quarter of 2018. That's when the Fed will respond, when things start to break, when credit spreads start to widen out. When the S&P 500 is down 25 plus percent, that's when the Fed will r- respond. I mean, I, I was getting called today, oh, the F- maybe the Fed will announce YCC next week. I'm like, yeah, all we're, the markets are flat on the year. They, they're going to all of a sudden like, go, to, go to such extreme policy that's going to tie their hands for the next couple of years? No. They, they're going to do things when things start to break, when housing starts to roll over because rates get too high, because things start to uh, get negatively impacted. They're not anywhere close to that, right? But, so yeah, these the are the beginning. Now, any- three quarters, two, yeah, things can start to break if we get there.
1: So you know, uh, the way I'm thinking about it too is, uh, you know, 2018. What you're talking about the Powell pivot, which was quite an embarrassing turn of face for the for the Fed. If you remember, it was January, February that people were saying the bond bull market's over. That's when this whole uh, shift up in the yield curve began, and it took the entire year of 2018, before the Fed reacted, before they threw in the towel, because in December, that's when we saw the puke in not just equity markets, but also credit markets.
2: Right, because that also coincided with the tapering that they thought would be like watching paint dry. And you knew at some point something was going to break, and it did. And then things broke in the repo market in the fourth quarter 2019. And then the Fed responded. And just uh, we have to assume that the Fed is going to be widely reactionary,
1: and 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 not go too extreme unless they're forced to. So, talk to me about equity markets here. So, I mean, because we've talked about the Fed, we've talked about the interaction of the Fed with bond markets, but the stuff that I'm seeing now today suggests that there's some sort of interplay between what's happening with inflation the Fed, and bond markets with equities? It's all about the multiple.
2: When I, I said going into this year, I said with the vaccines, it's going to be much easier to predict the trajectory of the economy and earnings this year and trying to figure out what the right multiple is. I know the economy is going to get better this year. I know earnings are going to rebound this year. But what multiple do we pay on that if inflation and higher interest rates come with that? And I just love to give the example that Apple's multiple last year went from 15 to 30. That's a doubling the stock. If the multiple goes from 30 to 20, that's a decline of 33%. There can be no change in the amount of phones they sell. There may be no change in the earnings estimates. But look what a change in the multiple did to that stock alone. So this is an entire PE multiple rethink that higher interest rates are giving reason to have that rethink. And that rethink is going to continue. I mean, when you think about multiples that with many stocks at the 30, 40, 50 times sales, well, if it goes to 30 times sales, why can't it go to 40? When it went to 40, why can't it go to 50? And on the reverse, why can't it go to 40, 30, 20? Uh, Because again, not to say anything wrong with any of these companies, but these are big multiples that modest changes means uh, profound impacts on their stocks.
1: You know, when you talk about the multiples of sales and those high numbers, it goes back to the high beta companies that I was talking about at the outset. Uh, What do you think about the reflation trade, A, in terms of the reopening, the post vaccine period? And then, B, given this re rating of multiples, what does that mean in terms of how you balance your portfolio?
2: Well, I I think people have to understand that what's going to work in the next couple of years. Uh, is what did not work over the last couple of years and vice versa. And what hasn't worked over the last 5 to 10 years is the commodity trade is investing in international markets and avoiding technology. Uh, that, That didn't work at all the last bunch of years. But now that works because you say reflation, yes, commodity prices, well, let's buy commodity stocks. Uh, International has dramatically lagged the last 10 years. Well, they may start to actually outperform uh, because there's value there and there's less dependence, depending on where you are, on on technology. And that technology will still always be with us, and these companies will still be amazing. But if there's a multiple rethink, as I talked about, then there's going to be re rating on those stocks.
1: So now uh, we're at a level 153.7, I think the last time that I looked on the 10 year. Uh, I I spoke to a market technician uh, two or three weeks ago about how she's looking at the technicals in the market, and she talks about two Fridays at resistance uh, will give you a confirmation that we've moved into the next trading level. The next trading level that a lot of people are talking about is above 150. So what that means is, is, is that if you believe her technical indicators. We get to 150, we stay there this Friday, we stay there next Friday, now suddenly, we've consolidated into a new range. We were in the range of 1 to 150, now we're in a range of 150 to 2. Markets could race higher to the 2% level You know, overnight. Uh, when I say overnight, I mean over a number of days. What happens to those, uh, those tech stocks that you were just talking about before in the near term? if we get a continued sell-off in, in bonds?
2: oh, they'll they'll continue to get plastered if we go sh- sharply to 2%, which, ironically, is where we were pre-pandemic. Now, granted, when we were at 2% in the 10-year, the Fed funds wasn't at zero, so the carry was different. But that's what it is. It's just going back to that level. Uh, but we have to keep in mind, generally speaking, we we have the the, the financial foundation. That and the economic foundation that's been predicated on rates as low as possible, that have have triggered extraordinary multiples in many parts of the market. So, if rates are no longer as low as they were and they're higher, well, that's a multiple rethink. And an economy that's been so addicted and accustomed to extraordinary low rates that you don't need high rates to cause a problem. You just need higher rates. I mean. Like I said, the Fed funds rate of two and a half percent caused a major problem in the fourth quarter of 2018. Historically speaking, you know that, that's 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 not much of a Fed funds rate, but it was enough to cause a problem because when you have such a massive pile of debt, small changes in interest rates times that massive pile of debt equals a lot of money.
1: So, Peter, I want to get you to talk to uh, Jim Bianco about this. Uh, this this is my last. Uh plead to you before we, we wrap, because as you know, uh, you guys are friends. Uh, I spoke to Jim last week, and he was saying almost the same sort of thing that you were talking about. What he's talking about is, actually, if you look at the numbers, if you look at inflation, all you really need to get to is 2.6%. That's that's his bogey. That will get you to the highest level that we've seen in years in terms of inflation. That's, that's not a huge increase and and that's the number that he's uh, targeting. That's that's good enough to create the kinds of problems that you're talking about.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if he's referring to the CPI or PCE. Probably the PCE, because uh, we, we, we haven't been above two percent in a while. I have a problem with the PC metric as opposed to CPI. But yeah, you, you start to get the, to those levels. The, the question is, is the inflationary pressures we're seeing right now, which is before base effects kick in in terms of the, the calculations. We're seeing we're seeing rises in the inflation numbers just January, February before this kicks in, is that after the base effects sort of wash out, I think inflation's still going to be persistently running two, three, four tenths a month. Those that take the other side think that come June, July, August, and everything tails off and you know we 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 inflation's right back down again. I think this remains sticky. I think it remains persistent. And I do think that it's going to further scare the bond market as the year progresses.
1: Yeah, and Yeah. You and know, my last question to you on that is, what about the scenario the crash up, crash down scenario? Meaning that here we are, we're in a world in which nominal GDP is going up. You know, the, uh, the Atlanta Fed's talking about 10% Q1 growth. You're talking about uh, inflation uh, going uh, further. Jerome Powell's talking about letting the economy run hot. Maybe they're creating the the preconditions for rates to go to levels that cause the economy to actually overheat in a way that causes it to come crashing down. And instead of going all the way up, we go up to a certain level, and then bang, uh, we 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 hit the floor again. Well, that's the thing is that central bankers
2: they're used to being in control, so it's easy to say for Jay Powell to say, yeah, let's let Let's let things run hot. Well, the bond market is telling you, we're not going to tolerate anything running hot. It's not happening under our watch. And this is the first time, again, in this modern era of crazy central banking, that the markets are really talking back. So just because central banks want to go this way, the bond markets are saying, well, we don't don't want to. We want to go this way. And therefore, there's not going to be a running hot thing, because the market's not going to let
0: them.
1: Yeah, I I will leave it with those great words. Let's see how this all plays out uh, over the next few days. Uh, You know, we're over 150. Uh, Things have really run far already. So I think uh, we're in for some trouble ahead. Thanks very much. And uh, let's get you back on with with Jim Bianca.
2: Looking forward. That would be great. Thank you.